0: Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the The message. message. Alright, so today we continue on our teaching series, This Good News. And I said, and I've said time and again, that the message of the gospel is the single most important news to every every human. It's the single most important news to every human. It's the message that gets us saved, it's the message that also causes us to mature. And I remember saying that the gospel is preached to the unbelievers, and yet it is taught to the believers. And we've spoken about the problem it's been a long one but i hope you've been learning in every part of the teaching and i hope it's been impactful and insightful as well we spoke about the problem we've also seen the solution in the messiah or christos and how jesus is the christ the anointed one the chosen one we've seen his passion and his sufferings we've also seen his glorification which is his ascension And so in today's teaching, I'm going to just put all you've learned together to give you a full understanding of what the gospel is and how a man is saved. You know the problem, you know the solution, but how do you get to be a part of this? How does it apply to you? So I said in today's teaching, I'm going to put all that we have learned together and I'm going to give you a full summary, a full summary, not a full summary, rather, a full understanding of the gospel and how a man is saved. And so you know the problem, you know the solution, but how do you get to be a part of this? How does it apply to you? And in the beginning of this series, I made a statement. Where I said, you'll be surprised at how many Christians today do not know the gospel. And I said, that statement in itself is a paradox. And yet, many people listening to me right now do not know that that statement is a paradox. Or cannot even discern that that statement is a paradox. How is it a paradox that there are Christians who don't know the gospel? It's because it's the gospel that gets you saved. It's impossible for you to be a Christian and not have heard the gospel. You're only a believer because the gospel. You're literally a believer because you believe in the gospel. And so that means there are many people who claim to be Christian and are not truly saved because they have not heard and believed the gospel. And so today we're just going to discuss how is a man saved? Nicodemus a pharisee came to Jesus in the middle of the night him being part of the Jewish ruling council came to Jesus and you know what it means for someone to be part of you know the Jewish ruling council it means that when it comes to keeping the law he could have something to boast of you have to understand that the pharisees were very particular about keeping the law and so now one of their leaders one of their teachers comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, in John chapter 3, from verse 1 to 6, and he says, in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So, he had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done. You have to realize that there were so many things that Jesus did that Jesus was the first person to do. Casting out the devil, Jesus was the first person to do that. I think even healing healing of, 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 of a blind eye. So, there were the miracles Jesus did and he said, we know that you are from God. We know that you are from God, because there is no one who could have done these things except he be from God, except God be with him. And in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I like to believe from reading this that, you know, it might have looked like he didn't have it, he didn't, Ask a question, but you know Jesus has this this um um, what I call it a habit now. Jesus has this pattern where he reads the intents of people's hearts and he give them he gives them answers. Are you following me? And Jesus answered and said unto him. So if he says Jesus answered, you have to realize that it's probably that Jesus discerned the question in his heart, being a Jewish ruler or a Jewish leader, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see. kingdom of god and nicodemus said unto him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter into you know can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again and in verse 5 jesus answered verily verily i say unto thee except the man be born of water and of the spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I've explained this to you time and again using the TSKS rule, right? That when he said, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he was saying, except a man be born of water, which is the spirit. I don't have enough time to explain it today, but he was referring to the spirit. And he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, personally, from all we read about Jesus, we see that Jesus has this pattern of, of responding to the questions people have in their hearts, even before they ask it. And these Pharisees with him, and Jesus begins to talk about how salvation comes. And Jesus starts talking about the regeneration by the Spirit. And then Nicodemus goes ahead to ask in verse 9, he says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Remember the question we're answering, How is a man saved? And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Are thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things. That is, you're a master of Israel. How don't you know this stuff? It says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, And testify that we have seen. And you receive not our witness. He's talking about their testimony. He's saying we speak of what we know. And yet you don't receive, you know, what we witness. What we tell you guys. And then in the next verse, He says, if I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how shall you believe when I tell you heavenly things? And then verse 13, he goes ahead to say, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. And then in 14, he goes ahead to say, and as Moses lifted up the serpent serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? But have eternal life. So now, after answering Nicodemus' question and telling him of the regeneration by the Spirit, Nicodemus goes ahead to ask him, how will this happen? How will the man be saved? And Jesus tells him that the same way Moses lifted up the brazen serpent, And healing came upon all who looked. So shall Jesus be lifted and salvation will come on all who believe. And I've told you many times that the Bible many times uses healing to typify salvation. For example, when the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his tribes we are healed. He was talking about salvation. Remember, his suffering and his death is the reason why we are saved. That was what I taught to in part 2. Do you remember? And so we see the Bible many times use this. And so, you know, in the same way, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, he's clearly stating the criteria for salvation. Come to think of it how would looking cause people to get healed do you understand what i'm saying it's the same way he's saying how would believing save people you might put that contrast between healing the brazen serpent, looking you look and you get healed and that's the same question you ask when you talk about the brazen uh, about salvation how would believing save people but remember he's talking to a pharisee pharisees were all about the law So he had to make a good reference, a reference to the brazen serpent. It didn't make sense for healing, sorry, for looking to heal people. And the same way, it wouldn't make sense for believing to save people. But he goes ahead to say, in verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So now he sets the criteria for salvation. And John 3.16 that you popularly read is a response to the question of how salvation will come. Are you getting what I'm saying? And this is important. And many times you hear people teach a sermon that has nothing to do with the love of God. He says, God loved the world. Or they teach a sermon that has nothing to do with the passion of Christ or his glorification. And after, they do an altar call, in quotes. And then they come out and you recite a few things that end uh, end up with, you know, I I make a U-turn and I give my life to Christ and things like that. And that's been the typical steps that we have to salvation. And that's why we have so many people who don't know Jesus, who don't know who he is, what he has done, or why they need him, and they want to receive him. And there's a big problem with this approach. Are you getting what I'm saying? Is this making sense to you? There's a big problem with this approach. As Nicodemus asked, How can a man be saved? There's there's semantics to the way salvation comes. It's not random. It's not however we feel. There's semantics to how salvation comes. You have to understand, the Pharisees had a way, an idea, of how they thought salvation would come. And Nicodemus being a Jewish council leader, Jesus told him, I thought you should know this. And then he gives him a criteria. He tells him, as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent, so shall Jesus, so shall the Son of Man be lifted. And that's the comparison Jesus wanted us to see when it comes to salvation. So there is a way. There is a way salvation comes according to the Bible. And you have to understand the uniqueness of the gospel's message to save. Because many other religions claim exclusivity. And so we cannot all have exclusive ways to God. And be all correct at the same time. Are you getting what I'm saying? That is, you cannot all say you are the only way you know to get to God and all of us are correct at the same time. One person has to be wrong, and then every other person, one person has to be correct, and every other person wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is this making sense? And so there is a way the Bible teaches us, there is a way Jesus tells us that salvation will come. There is semantics on how salvation works. Are you following me? And so a lot of times we've seen a lot of ways people have taken salvation to be that it is not we have to find out what jesus says about it and get it right i'll give you a few ideas of what people think salvation is and is not and then from there we'll go ahead to discuss what salvation really is and how a man is saved number one repentance repentance you see it is possible for a person to repent and not be saved and that might sound wrong in somebody's ear, like, uh, sir, what are you saying? But it's possible. Because the word repent, even in the usage in the Bible, was used for different things, but two of the most prominent ones you see, you know, is the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of heart. Another word, in another Greek word that was interpreted, repent, in the Bible, is metamelomia, which means a regret or care after. And none of these talks about salvation. You can repent and still not be saved. Because salvation is not repentance. You see, the book of John is regarded as an evangelical book. And it was written... I mean, within the, within between the period of like 60 years after the death of Christ. And so you can understand that, you know, it's, it has to be clear. Because it was written not so far from when Jesus died. Are you getting it? And so it, it, it ranks high when it comes to the subject of salvation. Right? And it's... It, I, I think if you read through John... In almost every chapter, you see an explicit call to salvation, and that's how that's how John was written. It was that clear. I I regard it as an evangelical book. And in a book as important as that, not one chapter mentions the word repentance. So that has to tell you something. Jesus was asked in John chapter 6 and verse 28. He says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him he had sent. So it's either Christ was hiding something, or repentance is not a prerequisite to salvation. And I'm sure a lot of people are still shocked, like, so what are you saying? Where then is the place of repentance? You can change your ways, and still not be saved. A person can decide to stop smoking for health reasons can decide to stop doing evil for different reasons and that does not get him saved what does salvation have to do with this yes when you are saved all these things would follow but these things would never get you saved are you following me so repentance is not salvation a lot of us many times we probably heard something that scared us about hell and then you decided so repent that still doesn't ensure that you are saved How many of you did that ever happen to? In an open ground, projector, movie, scary ones, you'll not be able to sleep in the night. That doesn't still mean you're saved. Let's go to the next one. Morality. Or works. Morality. Or works. Remember what are we talking about? We're talking about things that people think is salvation, but it's not. Good morals are great, helping people, giving to charity, but it is not a prerequisite to salvation. One of the ways God reveals Himself to us is in our conscience. Paul says in Romans that those whom God who do not have the law but do the things of the law bear witness of God. That is the fact that they have a conscience, they have an inner witness in a moral compass that leads them. Bear witness of God. Are you with me? But still, the fact that you bear, you know, in your action, you bear witness of God. There is a semantics to how salvation comes. And so the fact that you are doing good doesn't still mean you are saved. There is a way God has set that salvation will come. There is a way to be saved. Some people are generous. They try to measure up all of that, you know, to, to match up try to measure their good against their evil deeds maybe the good will outweigh the evil deeds but still that doesn't get you saved are you getting it there's something the bible calls your righteousness which is different from the righteousness of god it doesn't get you saved some people believe you know that when they die their good deeds will be weighed against their evil deeds and so you know when you check it they think it's transactional but it's not like that yes a good a a believer should have good morals but good morals would not get you saved Gandhi believed in living good and right, Buddha also did. I mean, even almost all the religions preach about living in peace or doing good, but salvation is not morality. A lecturer once put as a part of the instructions on an exam paper, make sure to write your student number for you to pass with distinctions. And everyone came into the exam hall and did as all they could. They tried to answer all the questions, they did all they wanted to do, you know, some came and gave it all their best, some came and left the paper blank, some came and picked random answers, and some decided to do all they could in the exam hall. And after the grading, those who wrote their student number passed with distinction, regardless of what they wrote, both the ones that put random answers and the ones who did not put anything and the lecturer came and returned to clarify his instructions it did not matter what they wrote it mattered how the lecturer said that distinction would come that's semantics and the same way when it comes to the gospel there's semantics it doesn't matter what you feel should get you salvation there is a way god has said that salvation would come are you getting this is it fair to the guys who did their best Is it fair that even the guys that left the sheet blank and only wrote their their student number got distinction? There was an instruction before. So there's what we call semantics when it comes to the gospel. How about zeal? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 to 3, scripture says, Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul is praying that that they be saved. In verse 2 he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's why I said there's something called your righteousness and there's something called the righteousness of God. It says them not you know them being ignorant of god's righteousness they went about establishing their own righteousness so every other thing you do to attain right standing with god is your righteousness but all that god has set for you to attain right standing with him if you do that is what is called god's righteousness are you getting what i'm saying he says my heart desire for them is that they be saved they have zeal if they have zeal why then is he praying for them to be saved he called it their righteousness, not the righteousness of God. So you can have zeal for God, but it does not take zeal for God to take you saved. Listen, there are some people who fast and pray and do all they can, but if you don't believe the gospel, just like those students, you're not saved. You don't get the distinction. Many religions pray and fast. Some pray five times a day. That's serious. That's zeal. Some of you don't even pray five times a day. But he says, it doesn't mean they are saved. So when you look at the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 to 7, Paul writing to them, he says, I marvel that you are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And someone is looking like, what is he saying? What does he mean, another gospel? In verse 7 he says, which is not another gospel, but there are some of you, that one to pervert the gospel of Christ. In verse 8 it says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? A ghost. And then he repeats it again. He says, And as we said before, so say I again, for every is if any, any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you've received, let him be what? Let him be accursed. He says, I'm surprised that you moved to another gospel, another teaching. That is not what I told you. And you have to understand, for the Gal- for the Galatians, they had started to move. There were people who were coming to pervert the teachings that Paul gave them, which was that by believing in Jesus, they will be saved. Some people begin began to mix the law with it, telling them that they had to fulfill some certain laws and he's saying that if anybody preaches to you anything different that was how that was how serious Paul took the semantics are you getting this? that was how serious he took the semantics he says cause be to the person be it a man or an angel because the semantics is important it's important you know how you're saved there's a reason why it's that way it's not a mistake he further explains in Galatians chapter 3 And verse 1 to 3, it says, All foolish Galatians who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ. Now you see that in the latter parts of the text, they start to use Jesus and Christ together, not separating it, right? Remember, the Christ was the title for the Anointed One, the Messiah, and Jesus was the name of the person. And so now they started to join it together. It says, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ have evidently been set forth, crucified amongst you, he's repeating to them the gospel which they heard. He then goes ahead to ask them, this only would I learn of you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so are you foolish that you started in the spirit and you want to be made perfect in the flesh? Listen, he's asking them, if you got saved by believing the gospel and not by your works, how then do you think you can use your works to sustain your salvation? Are you getting what i'm teaching you this is important he says did you receive the spirit by the works of the law that now you want to begin to use the law he says are you so foolish that's how painful it was to him that you started in the spirit and you want to be made perfect in the flesh he says who has bewitched you so we can call any other idea from the ghost you we can call it deception do you understand what i'm teaching you that's what i've said before that the Bible documents the journey of God into the heart of the man. The journey from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the journey of God into the heart of the man. So sin had to be taken away and the blood of Christ washed man clean and the Spirit of God came to dwell inside of us as what? As God's temple. So Paul's argument is this. If after you believed in Jesus, you saw the works you saw, on Pentecost, the spirit came, even now, you're seeing the works, and the spirit is inside of you, then it's a te- you have to understand that the indwelling of the spirit of the spirit of God inside a man is testament to the fact that Jesus is glorified. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because Jesus had to go for the spirit to descend, and so if they see the works of the spirit, then they have to understand that the person who came and died is the Messiah. So he is saying that if you've seen the manifestation of the of the spirit and his works. And you got that by believing in faith why then do you you've had walks all along and yet you didn't see the spirit so walks could not have been the way are you getting what i'm teaching you you've had walks all along if walks was the way then you would have had the spirit a long time ago works is not the way paul's argument is that when you made god's temple by your works or by faith and so from the good news one the good news two the good news part three you can easily see the semantics sin was a problem that man could not solve by himself God had to step in, in the incarnation, in Jesus, and so Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him. You have to see that, and I like to point it out. It's a consistent message. How many times have you seen Jesus crucified since we started? Paul said, Before whose eye was Jesus clearly crucified? Now, again, Romans is saying that, you know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I believe that that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's the message of the gospel clearly stated. He died, he was buried, and he resurrected. So, Paul is saying, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, now listen again, I want you to always pay attention to these things. What did he call Jesus? Before he called him the Christ, now he called him what? Lord. From our teachings, you know what he meant by that, right? The king to reign forever. Good. So he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. Are you people following me? For with the heart a man believes unto righteousness, and to the, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there is what to do to be saved. Believe. Believe that God has raised him from the dead. Which means that he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Believe. Believe. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and resurrected. That's how to be saved. Anyone who says anything different like I taught you is attacking your salvation. It takes the death of Christ for sin to go. It takes the resurrection of Christ for us to have assurance of eternal life. So what do we believe to be saved? This message, the gospel, that Jesus died was buried and resurrected. Say Jesus died, was buried and resurrected. Say it again, Jesus died, he was buried and he resurrected. And so I'll give you a definition of the gospel that every member of the Catholic community has to know by heart. The gospel is that God fulfilled his plan To accept the death of Jesus as propitiation or payment. So the gospel is that God fulfilled his plan to accept the death of Jesus as propitiation or payment for sin and has ever since bestowed eternal life upon all who believe. I take that again. The gospel is that God fulfilled his plan to accept the death of Jesus as propitiation or payment for sin and has ever since bestowed eternal life on all who believe. A person who has not realized this and believed it is not saved. And someone is asking, just like Nicodemus must have been thinking, for such a big thing as salvation why just believe and i think that's the idea that's the reason why a lot of us cannot just accept like believe ke. and so a lot of us like to act like jesus is pa and you're like what be what please works <laughs> you know but don't mind me i'm just kidding but like you must be thinking like for something as big as salvation why something as small it's because of God's attributes, His nature, which I taught you. Now you see why I taught about the attributes of God. Apart from the fact that He is just and holy, He's also what? Merciful. He's also loving. So one of the most important parts of the gospel that must not be removed is its simplicity. What did I say? Its simplicity. In Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse two, Scripture says, "For I am jealous over you." with godly jealousy he says for i have espoused you to one husband that i might present you a chaste virgin to christ he says but i fear lest, by any means as the serpent beguiled eve through his subtility so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ so he's talking about his simplicity in christ he says in verse 4, it says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or, or if you receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which we have not accepted, you might bear with him. Listen, there's something that, has, that, that comes with the simplicity of the gospel. Something that comes with the simplicity of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, you begin to see God's mind, his attributes, his nature. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, But God who is rich in mercy, he calls it rich in mercy. He uses an adjective to describe His mercy. He says He's rich for His great love wherewith He loved us. He says, even when we were dead in sin, He had what? Quickened us together with Christ. He says, by grace ye are saved. He says, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ. So listen. God is merciful, one of the attributes of God. And that's why you have to understand that it was important that God stepped in. That was his motive, mercy and love. That was his motive. Mercy and love. And love, rather. <laughs> it is for his great love, where which he loved us, even when we were dead. So he saw us dead. And love, which is his nature, moved him. That's why, that's why you have to understand that we don't, we, we don't serve we, we we don't serve the same God as the Muslims because the Christian God is relational, he has attributes like love. When it comes to Islam, he's a monad, he he's he he you know humanity is more of like a slave to do whatever he wants as against the relationship we have with God in Christian in Christianity. Are you getting what I'm saying? He was moved with love, he had mercy. He had mercy. He says, he had, and he had raised us up together. So listen, this is one of the things that we say when we learn. He says, when we were dead in sin, he quickened us. So when Christ resurrected, he didn't resurrect alone. We resurrected with him. He says, he has quickened us. The word quickened is to make alive. He has quickened us together with Christ. He says, by grace, that is salvation comes by what? By grace, is by grace, you are saved. It says that he has raised us together and made us sit together in heavenly places. So right now when you are asked where are you seated, physically you might be seated in your room. Maybe in one corner of Babcock University. Maybe somewhere where you are waiting to write an exam tomorrow. Or you are seated somewhere. But in the spirit realm, it says what it says you have been raised to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. So physically you might be seated there, but in the spirit, you are seated together with Christ. In heavenly places. In verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches. Oh my God. Listen, it says that in the ages to come He might show. So now God wants to show off. <laughs> That's what your salvation is about now he wants to show off the exceeding the word exceeding there talks about something that is over the mark so imagine you're running a 100 meter race where the race ends is where he's just starting that's what over the mark means you're supposed to run 100 meter and then you decide to run the whole track that's what over that's what exceeding means he says he wanted to show the exceeding. So he uses exceeding to describe it. He goes ahead in the same breath to say, riches, exceeding riches. Are you seeing the adjectives that are used? Over the mark, exceeding riches of his grace. Oh my God. So the grace of God is over the mark, is beyond, is over and beyond, is beyond the mark. This is why he had to be simple. We can't comprehend it. It's over the mark, over the top. Look at the adjective used. Exceeding. Exceeding riches. When you talk about someone that is rich, he has an abundance. He has an abundance. It says the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ. So Christ is the extension of the nature of God. For God so loved the world. Love is that nature. He wanted to show off the exceeding riches of his grace. And so the way we see it, in that manner he gave Christ. Are you getting this? He says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you have no boasting to do in salvation. If you can claim that you did something about salvation, you have boasting. Paul says there is no boasting. He says God wanted to show off. So do you know what it means for the master of the world, of the universe to show off? It means he he must have made sure that you had little or no no involvement in that work. That's how he could show off. Are you getting what I'm saying? If he wanted to show his love and mercy, he was going to make it sure. There's a saying, in my pastor, there's something I learned from my pastor a long time ago. And it might trickle some of you when you hear it, but it's true. That the only thing you contributed to your salvation is you being a sinner before the salvation. Is that you needed salvation? That's the only thing you contributed, is the sin that required that made you require saving. That's the only thing you contributed. God wanted to show off. Every form of your involvement would have been removed. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is important. This is important. He wanted to show how great his love and kindness is towards us through Christ. Remember, even though he's a God of justice, he's also a God of love. He's our Father. And some people are like, this doesn't make sense. It still doesn't add up. That's why many of the things Jesus did when he came to this world was the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not understand it. That's why he could clearly talk to him to talk to Nicodemus and tell him that as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent so the brazen serpent now is a shadow. The brazen serpent they had to only look to be healed. Listen, it didn't matter who it was or what the person had done as long as the person looked, the person was healed. And that was a perfect image of what God wanted to do in salvation, of what God did in salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, Scripture says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us it is what? Unto us that are saved is what? The power of God. Listen. When people hear it, it won't make sense. You don't get it. How can a man, how can God first, deity, God, the whole God, become a man? When people ask me that question, the first thing my man is like, yes, that's the point. It's it's foolishness. How did God become a man? And then after God becoming a man, he now died again? It doesn't make sense to a normal man. He calls it foolishness to them that that perish. But unto us, it is what? The power of God. is. <laughs> what? The power of God. When the adulterous woman was brought before Jesus, it didn't make sense. But he said, he that is without sin, be the first to cast a stone. And then he said, go and sin no more, my God. What are you saying, Jesus? Literally. This woman was caught in the act of adultery and you're saying go and sin no more? What? No Sabbath school, no membership school, no discipleship. Why not watch us, let us spy on her for a while and see if she has genuinely changed? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It says the preaching of the cross is to them that, that perish foolishness. But unto us, which are saved, it is what? It is the power of god he says for it is written i would destroy the wisdom of the wise i would bring to nothing the understanding of the prudence nicodemus was one of such men who had all the understanding of the law are you getting this the more i read into that story the more i understand what jesus did and to see that you know that that experience was what followed when he says for god so loved the word that he gave his only begotten so one of the most popular texts to us that was his answer to the question in the man's heart. It he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Had God not made foolish the wisdom of the world, of this world. For after that in the wisdom of God, of God the world by wisdom knew not God. There was no discernment of God through all, all their wisdom. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Greeks, all of them, they had all the books and yet could not properly discern the plan of God. So then it must make sense to you that if God wanted to destroy the foolishness, wanted to show the foolishness of this world, then the way he was going to save us would not make sense to people yet is the power of God so if your question is that how is it just by believing it is because god wanted to show off and it might never make sense to you an ordinary man that believing would cause us to be saved it might never make sense but just take it. it is the semantics of god it's the semantics that salvation will come by it's what god has said it's what god has ordained are you getting what i'm saying It says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God that by the foolishness of of preaching to save them that believe. So what I'm doing might sound foolish when I go out to preach, but that's the power of God to save. To religious folks, it doesn't make any sense, but it's the power of God. Are you getting it? And that's why the songwriter would call it Reckless and you might say you know oh so he's it it, it sounds reckless that you didn't know me but yet you died for me it says god commanded his love to us in that while we were yet seen as christ died for us that's a funny that's that's a funny. you will not advise anybody to make such an investment in economics you don't know the outcome and yet you're investing in it it doesn't make sense in, in, in business it doesn't make sense in economics but it's the power of God to save the writer calls it reckless it sounds foolish it sounds too simple it sounds impossible but this is what God has chosen to use in verse 22 he says for the Jews require a sign the Greek seek after wisdom but we what we preach Christ crucified that is nothing will make us Sugar quotes this message, we would preach it as it is. Are you getting me? We wrote, would preach it as as it is. One of the reasons why a lot of people mix the message is that if you preach, I've come to realize that many of the people who mix the message is not that they don't know the message, that's the message they had to be saved, but they want to do assistance, Holy Spirit. So they just, if you preach it to them, they will continue to sing. Mm -mm. Paul says. It says, the Jews require and the Greeks after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach it the way it is. It says, unto the Jews a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks foolishness. I wish I could go in to explain what stumbling block to the Jews there means. It says, unto the Greeks foolishness. It says, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of god verse 25 says because the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men are you getting what paul is saying i love the passion this is the semantics you think is foolish but it's wiser than you he says for in 26 it says for you see your calling brethren not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but god had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise god had chosen the weak things of the world to confirm to confound the things which are mighty this is solid is why is it so simple listen the simplicity must not be taken away because the simplicity makes you understand that God is showing off. It might sound foolish, but you have to preach it the way it is. And then it goes to chapter 2. And in verse 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. It says, Which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, one of these days I will do a commentary of, you know, 1 Corinthians for you properly. It is for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Listen. When Jesus came and did all the things he did, in crucifying him, they probably thought he was over, he was finished. But what seemed like he was finished to them was them actually fulfilling God's plan. Are you getting this? It says none of the princes of this world knew." for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord. If they had known that because of this, all these guys are going to be set free. today is going to be set free in the future. His sins are going to be paid for. They didn't understand. I call it the genius of God. That God found a substitute in himself coming to become a man. It's, what, it's, it's genius. It's a genius plan. And it sounds foolish to the world. But it's God's power to save. It says, But as it is written, I had not seen nor ears heard, neither that the heart of, of man, which things God had prepared for them that loved him. But God had revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searched all things, yea, the deep things of God. So it was God's plan to save us all along, with something so simple, yet the devil couldn't decipher it. So don't complicate it to suit your thinking. Don't complicate it, you know, to suit your expectations. Don't switch the message. Preach Jesus crucified. Preach the cross. And if you're here, and this is the first time you're hearing this message, all the Bible says is believe. How? is a man saved for God so loved the world that he gave that is in this way we know that God loved the world he gave his only begotten son whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life so believe the message altar call or no altar call if you've heard the message and you've believed it you are saved are you getting it you are saved so if this is your first time hearing it believe the message and you're saved and if you've heard it before also strengthen your convictions this is why you might be saying oh i gave my life to christ but the right semantics is that you had nothing to give in salvation like i've taught you you were a sinner who couldn't save himself god gave you his son to die for you And then he gave you a new life. So rather you say, I received the life of Christ. Why? Because your old life is gone now in Christ. You now live the life of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? There is semantics to it. There's semantics to it. When you say you surrender all to him, you literally had nothing to surrender. Now that you are saved, you can surrender. Before that, you had nothing to give. Are you getting it? That's the right semantics. In salvation, you were a recipient. Please, are you following me? In salvation, you were a recipient. And like I said before, I once heard the only thing you contributed was the pre-existing sin that needed cleansing. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, it, to Jews first and also to Greek. The gospel is God's power to save. Do everything you want or can. You won't be saved if you don't believe the gospel's message. That Jesus died for your sins, was buried and resurrected. And now your sins have been washed away. And in the death, you are forgiven. And now you will eternally reign with him forever. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. This has to move you. This is what moves me every day to get up. The most important message. The popular saying heaven helps those who help themselves. In this tech, in this in this context, we were recipients. Because the, the right semantics is that heaven actually helps those who cannot help themselves. In salvation, you cannot you could not help yourself. You could not help yourself. There's nothing you could do. You owe the debt you couldn't pay. Christ paid a debt he didn't owe. So your works and all the things you want to attain or try to do are not prerequisites. salvation and someone is like where then is all of the works the bible says that we are his workmanship created in him unto good works so now there is works works was not cancelled rather it was redirected listen works did not get you saved but now that you are saved you will do good works are you getting what i'm saying there was nothing you could do to get saved but now that you are saved you do good things you would fast the bible calls it it says it calls it the fruits of the of the spirit long-suffering, kindness, meekness, now that you had, you had all of those things, no matter how much you tried to do them, wasn't going to get you saved. The Bible calls our righteousness as filthy rags. So to God, that could not give you right standing. But now that you've done it the right way, now your good works count because it's a result of your salvation that's why Ephesians doesn't stop there after telling you by grace you are saved not of works is the gift of God he now says for we were created you know do you understand know what I'm saying that's where works is it's redirected remember Ephesians 2 8 which we read before he says for by grace you are saved through faith not of yourself is the gift of God not of works that any man should boast It says for we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he had before ordained that we should walk in them and so now all the texts I read to you before would make sense. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. That's how the message should be preached. A lot of people come with a megaphone behind your house. Shouting the wages of sin is death. You that are wearing attachments. You that you are wearing bangles. Heaven is... <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Don't mind me. It doesn't stop there. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. This is the good news. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory, eh, eh, the Bible says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be what, payment, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be what, just. And the justifier so listen this is heavy it hits me every time i read it he is the just god who has to punish your sin but still he's the justifier who came to pay for that sin he says he is the just and justifier of him that believeth in jesus so no believer can boast because salvation is a gift righteousness is a gift look at the heroes of faith rare believe I can even tell you she had no idea in how or what she was believing. She believed in God to save her. So when they say, oh, that day you'll be surprised. It's not bad. Me, I think you'll be surprised. Not in the sense that bad news. I think you'll be surprised because when it comes down to it, you see people who believed in God plainly for salvation and are saved. And he has to, this, this ought to change your vocabulary in prayer and devotion. This is what to confess what you, when, when you pray. Hearing this has to get you thankful to God. Maybe your devotion was boring before it's because you've not fed on the reality of who you are. This is revelation knowledge, the knowledge of who you are, all Christ has done for you. This is revelation knowledge. It gets the unbeliever saved, but it is taught to you. This is the song, this is what the, the, the songs you sing should contain. Stop listening to songs with wrong semantics on salvation. Feed your spirit with truth. Feed your spirit with truth. Feed your spirit with what is right. So now that you are saved, you can then surrender. Do you understand this? You can then consecrate yourself. Before salvation, there was nothing you could do. Because by the works of your hands, no man can please God. So salvation is by faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the message to believe believe on Him, His death, His burial and his resurrection, and you shall be saved. Just pray in the language of the spirit wherever you are.